Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Inner Puzzle, a weekly podcast helping you put the pieces together to the beautiful puzzle that is your life. Featuring the stories of survivors to motivate and empower you through your own healing journey. Sharing resources and methods to help you get through life's darkest times. You can overcome your fears and heal your wounds so they aren't passed down to your loved ones. And we're here to help. I am Paola Byron, four-time Emmy Award-winning journalist, executive producer, and host of this podcast. Let's begin. Dr. Bernard Tony is a former White House medical officer. He has worked across all boards within the government and with public health officials at the highest rank. He is a man who loves medicine, research, education, and works to help improve global health. He is a decorated Army combat veteran who toured three times in Afghanistan and has received the Presidential Service Badge amongst numerous prestigious awards. But before he was working at the White House, his army recruiter found him under very different circumstances. Please help me welcome Dr. Bernard Tony. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Bernard. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, take me back to that young man in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, does that feel like a lifetime ago? It does. Um, I'm dating myself here, but um, but I'm 41 years old now. And so uh, when my recruiter met me, I was only 17. Um, and so uh, during that time, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, not unlike the circumstances that many people do in Atlanta today, um, where if you're in the lower to middle income range uh, on the economic scale, then you're faced with some other challenges that people may not be attuned to. And so um, my background was um, sort of uh, sprinkle with uh, circumstances in which you wouldn't want your children to be in. And so um, I've, I've talked to other people about where most of those things started. And they started about the age of 14. And that was the first time I was robbed at gunpoint. Um, and so uh, that was very traumatic for me and my family, for my mother particularly. Um, but then things just sort of continued to progress downhill as I found myself being more, I uh, had the gravitational pull towards the, the worst side of the track in Atlanta, Georgia, if you will. Um, and, uh, you know, during that time, I ended up experiencing a lot of, a lot of frustrations, um, again, a lot of pressures, economic pressures and things like that. And I found myself in very dire uh, circumstances. 
At the age of 17, before I joined the Army, I was involved in a drive-by shooting in which I was uh, one of the victims. Um, I wasn't hit, but my vehicle that I was driving was uh, struck several times by bullets. Before we go into the drive-by shooting, I do want to mm -hmm. talk about how probable was it to find yourself in the circumstances that you did face at that age? You know, being that you grew up in this, you know, specific neighborhood or you were surrounding yourself maybe mm -hmm. with the kind of people that maybe you shouldn't be interacting with. How probable was sure. it that you'd be facing these circumstances at the age of 14? I think highly probable. Uh, I think at the time, you know, we Atlanta was very, at least segregated along racial lines. So a part of the city was predominantly black and part of it was predominantly white. And so um, in the predominantly black areas of, of Atlanta, Georgia, um, it was it was fraught with uh, with crime, with drugs. Um, so in a lot of ways, it was very probable. Um, I can't give you an exact percentage, but I will tell you that um, the opportunities for uh, for engaging in nefarious activities, uh, engaging with nefarious characters, um, was extremely high for most people, at least in my social economic demographic. Right. So take me to that time that you were a victim of a drive-by shooting and you know this is something you can't even imagine and i'm sure that it happened in a split of a second yeah so uh it was march of 1999 um i was just now graduating high school i went through an alternative school so i graduated off off calendar um sort of in the winter of that year um and i was i was hanging out with my friend ivan gray um and a few other friends um, that are still friends to this day. And we left the club and we were sort of celebrating the fact that everyone will be soon graduating from high school. Uh, that was a, a major milestone for us uh, because not a lot of people uh, graduated from high school where we come from. And so uh, we were celebrating that. We went to a club um, and then after the club, we went to a gas station um, to fill up with gas. And at that moment, um, we uh, heard a, a lot of shooting. Um, I started to you know, try to evade the situation by driving away. Um, and I was stopped because I started hearing bullet rounds uh, come towards uh, hitting my vehicle. Um, so I had rounds that hit uh, the, the hood of the vehicle, the, the passenger side of the vehicle, and that's where my friend Ivan Gray was. Um, he was shot in the chest. Um, I didn't know it at the time until um, I started to try to pull off and, and move to a safer area, and he leaned over on my, uh, on my hand, uh, which was on a gear shift, uh, and, and I felt blood pulling over my hand. So we moved to a safer location about a mile or two down the road. Um, I pulled him out of the vehicle, um, and I had a whole host of friends around me at the time trying to, you know, encourage me to keep him alive. I don't know what kind of power they think I, thought I had at the time, but mm -hmm. they were saying, don't let him go to sleep. I remember that. And so um, he ended up passing as a result of it. Um, I believe he passed in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, I think he was determined dead on arrival. Um, just about a year and a half later, I believe it was, I went back to the murder trial to, uh, to testify to the murder while I was a soldier in the Army training. You had to relive this moment even after a year of grieving. Yeah, and I, I will tell you that um, there, wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of time between the incident and joining the Army. So I, I was in the Army three and a half weeks later in, in combat hmm. training. Do you think you were trying to kind of Go, get away from reality to a certain extent? Well, yes and no. So I enlisted into the delayed entry program. So I had already enlisted into the Army mm. um, 
on paper by contract the, in the December prior, so three months prior to that incident. Um, but that incident definitely accelerated my idea that I needed to get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. so, uh, and so I, I joined the Army officially in, uh, in April, so the next month, about three weeks later of 1999. Was that a hard lesson to learn that life is short? Um, it, you know, for, for a lot of the people that I grew up with, um, the pathway was often jail or, uh, in many cases, uh, death for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, I really didn't see beyond that, to be honest with you. I knew that I wanted something better, but I didn't know how to get there. And I didn't have the foundation, at least at that time, to be able to have some sort of trajectory that I can shoot towards. Um, I had a very low GPA. I was not college bound. I hadn't prepped for college in any form or fashion. I didn't know anything about um, engaging in in corporate America. Um, I didn't know anything about academia. So um, in a lot of ways, I knew that I was running away from my past, but I was running towards something. I just didn't know what that something was at the time. I remember working at UPS as my last job before the army. And I had some guys telling me that, you know, you don't join the white man's army. You're not gonna make it in the white man's army. And why would you do that? And you know, um, I, I had some mixed emotions going in, but uh, but no, I wasn't told that I wouldn't make it. Um, I was actually told that I was probably going to be wildly successful. I did very well on my ASVAB. Um, I was I did well enough to be able to learn languages in the military. So my first language going into the military was Russian, and that was after taking a uh, the ASVAB and then a language aptitude test. Um, so I was told and sold uh, that I would have. A, a lot of opportunity in the army. It didn't seem that way upon initial entry. Um, I cer- certainly had my challenges in the army, but going in, I had a lot of confidence going into the army that I would be able to find a better future. So moving from working in the army, now you have served two, not one, but two presidential administrations. Mm-hmm. What was that transition like? That transition was, I would say it was, um, there were a lot of key developmental milestones along the way. Um, in order for me to get all the way to the White House, that meant that, uh, that I had to have a ton of education in between the time that I joined the Army um, and the time that I made it to the White House. By that time, I had already had two bachelor's degrees and a master's degree um, and had already worked in special forces for quite some time and deployed to Afghanistan three times. So uh, I built a career of dependability, uh, professionalism, and leadership skills that, that propelled me into a position in which I can interview at the White House. Um, and that, that process was very interesting, to say the least. But, um, but I think when I got there, they saw something in me that, um, that, they, that many other leaders saw in me, that I had a lot of aptitude, I had a lot of humility. Um, and that I was willing to serve. And I think that was the biggest thing, that it didn't matter exactly who was in the um, sitting in the office of the president, um, that I was there to serve uh, the office of the president um, to make sure that we had continuity of government. What was that interview like for those who aren't <laughs> part of the White House administration or you know higher ranks in government? What is that interview process like? Well, I can't really speak to the actual process. I'm pretty sure there are some restrictions on that, but I can tell you that it was it was an elongated process. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely wasn't something that you would expect if you're applying for a job in, in, in America in, in most instances. Um, there's a significant focus on security. Um, as you can imagine, if you're uh, hoping to be within arm's reach of the president at all times, uh, then 
uh, there's a certain level of security uh, background check that most people aren't accustomed to. Um, and a lot of the interview process was really based on um, how do you fit? You've already demonstrated that you're smart. You've already d demonstrated that you're dependable. Um, you're uh, collective, collected and under fire, and you've, you've already experienced and done a lot of things that were demonstrable to what your aptitude and potential is. But how do you fit on a team um, of diverse yeah. individuals mm -hmm. from various backgrounds being able to quickly integrate into a system that's designed to protect, medically protect, the most powerful people in the entire world. Um, and so that interview process was really um, more of who, who are you as a person and not just who are you as a person, but how well do you, how, how well do you fit on the team? Did you cross any sort of limitations along the way? No, I, I, I wouldn't say so. I think, um, I think if you're speaking to like maybe barriers to entry, racial barriers to entry or something like that, no, I would say that I really didn't have any, um, any real issues. Um, to, to your point, I had a, a well-vetted security history. So when I joined the military, um, I joined as a cryptologic linguist, and that's just a fancy way of saying that I studied languages and I worked in signals intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that, I had a top secret security clearance from point of entry into the military. So that long history of being able to maintain a top secret security mm -hmm. clearance uh, was helpful. Um, and I think that uh, my academic background and some of the jobs that I had sort of prepared me for that. So I worked in executive medicine. Um, I was uh, a provider for a four-star general command in Hawaii. So I had a very demonstrable history that they, were, mm -hmm. that they were able to rely on. So I don't think that I really had any barriers to entry, no more than anyone else would. What your economic background is, what color you are, where's your, your heritage from, Mm -hmm. That idea, that concept that that influences your your position or where you want to go, obviously that wasn't a barrier for you. You know, you're, you're, you're a testament to saying I made it because I am intellectual. I have these experiences. I have this background with me. And Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. That's what led me to where I am. Yeah, in many ways. Um, but, but, to, but to add to that, I would say that I've always had, you know, in that time, if, if you can imagine, I was very rough around the edges. So I wasn't well groomed for many of these things early on. And so I had key leaders in my life, almost strategically placed when I think about it, at points when I wanted to leave the military because I didn't like it. Um, I had leaders that were 
uh, placed in my life, um, and I say by the grace of God, that were able to develop me, cultivate what they saw in me, and groom me for positions of higher uh, stature, leadership, responsibility, and all of that compounded over time um, for me to be able to go to the White House. So I would say, yes, I, I played a significant role, um, but without the, without the intervention and the help and assistance of people who wanted to pour into me professionally, I don't think I would have made it. I think that support is key. That support, whether you find it within your family, friends, uh, mentors, um, teachers, right, that educate right. you and take time and investment to pour that love and extra time onto your abilities. Right. And they see beyond, beyond what you're, you think you're capable of. I think that's, that's key to success. Um, you fit this profile of change for betterment, change mm -hmm. for yourself and not having your past define your future. What can you say to others who may have grown up in the same circumstances you grew up in mm -hmm. or similar? What can you say to them? How can you get out of this rut, right, that I'm in? Yeah, so I would say that it's, it's, like, it's like a plant. Um, you know, your environment, your soil uh, is, is going to be the, the nutrients for your growth. What I had to do for myself was I had to remove myself from my environment um, and joining the army was my way of doing that. I get that not everyone can do that um, and not everyone would ever want to. But I will say that if you can change your environment, maybe not even the physical environment initially, but at least the people who are around you, um, that makes a world of difference. Um, it's extremely uncomfortable. You know, when I, when I joined the military, I went to an all black school in an all black neighborhood and I was often the only black face in any formation of soldiers uh, going through the military. So I definitely had some insecurities with being different. I definitely looked different. I had 12 gold teeth coming into the military, which was very unorthodox and strange for a lot of people. Um, but I, I had to remove myself out of my environment so that I can think differently uh, because I had people around me who thought differently. And I think that diversity of thought was very key in my development. I don't know anybody that I joined the military with that moved along my same path. But on that path, I was always around people who were moving in a forward direction, uh, who oftentimes had some sort of positive impact on my life. And if they didn't, I removed myself from those situations as well, because the military is not full of angels, as you can probably imagine. Um, but it's, I definitely found more pockets of people who were able to think differently, see things differently, had different backgrounds, different cultures. And I was able to bring all of that into my life in a vicarious way to start making decisions to move forward in the way that I wanted to. But had I stayed in my environment in Atlanta, Georgia, with those same people, um, I think my fate is probably predetermined. Um, I think it's either dead or in jail. So I think the key point for me is, is when you look around your surroundings, if you're the smartest person in the room, you probably shouldn't be in the room. Um, if you have people who are around you who are, um, who are overtly um, negative or have a negative impact in your life, and sometimes it's hard to see that as well, then you have to remove yourself from that environment. Um, that was my key, and I think that's, that's key for many, for many other people as well. Take me to little Bernard. Little Bernard um, <laughs> growing up. And, you know, what was family like? 
what were the ideals that were shared with you at that time Mm -hmm. did you know at some point did they ever tell you that you can reach for the stars or maybe they just told you you just got to work day in and day out Mm -hmm. um take me to what it was like growing up and what ideals or morals were instilled in you yeah so um i grew up in a I grew up in a, in, a, in a dual parent household, so my mother and father are still married. Um, the caveat to that is my father always worked second shift at Ford Motor Company. He still works there. He's been there for 44 years, um, which means that I didn't see him. When he was at work, um, I was at home. And when I was at home, he was at work, you know, vice versa. And so um, I didn't see him very often. I saw him on the weekends, uh, but he was very tired during those times. So my mom primarily raised me. It's, it's kind of interesting in which I had both parents, but I kind of lived in a single parent household growing up. Um, I looked for validation quite often. I didn't have a whole lot of security, at least personally. Um, so I looked for validation outside of the home um, for whatever reason. And I, I found that validation in people who were generally not doing anything uh, in life. It's kind of interesting when you look at that um, that concept where you gravitate towards people that aren't good for you, but somehow they validate you. And I think that phenomenon is demonstrated in gangs and other things. But there was always this element of I was intelligent um, despite my circumstances um, in my neighborhood, in my school. Yeah. I was chosen to participate in the M2M program in Atlanta, Georgia. It's called the Minority to Majority Program where they bust black kids or minority kids uh, to, to white schools. Um, mm-hmm. And that was my first introduction to being the black face in a white room. Mm-hmm. Um, I was blessed to Peachtree Junior High School in Atlanta, Georgia from my school. And I remember walking in saying, I'm not as good as anyone here. I can't, I can't do this. And so I sort of self-sabotaged. I didn't perform mm-hmm. well. I misbehaved and things like that. Until ironically, I was made to come back to my uh, school that's rated one out of 10. Um, on greatschools.org. Um, and I felt more comfortable there. And I, it is really hard to describe what would compel a person to do that. But I felt extremely uncomfortable in, a, in an environment where I was intellectually um, matched to the people that I was in the classrooms with. But mm-hmm. socioeconomically, culturally, I didn't fit in at all. And that was very difficult. Um, another, you know, another caveat to that is, is that when you're in that environment, you have a hard time making friends because, again, you don't look like anyone. You don't mm-hmm. talk like the people there. But you also don't get to the outside of the classroom time with those people. You're bused back to your black neighborhoods mm, um, yeah. immediately after school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that was a challenge for me. And that's when the ball started to really roll downhill, where I really felt inferior. I was really find, trying to find where I fit in with people. Um, and I, I struggled with that all of my childhood. I understand that one one thousand percent. I mean, I'm a journalist. Mm-hmm. I've always been the youngest of mm-hmm. um, whether it, me, it meant in my classroom or working mm-hmm. in the industry of broadcast mm-hmm. um, journalism. And mm-hmm. I always, like you, my my abilities showed up no matter where I went because mm-hmm. it's the drive, the ambition that I had to always look for betterment for all for always looking into improving myself but you know i also am this little miami girl who grew up in multiple homes 
with her single mother. Yeah, with three kids. And we moved from place to place and there was no stability. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whatever clothes I had, it was, it was, you know, the, it looked the best, right? Because I always wanted to show up saying that, yes, I, I do have enough. And I look like this because I do have enough. But the reality is, is that I would go to this industry, this place, this workplace that's wonderful. It's glamorous. You see lights everywhere. You see all these talents dressed Mm up, right, to the T and perfect and with Mm -hmm. makeup on. And Mm -hmm. there's so much money. There's so much money surrounding me. And Mm -hmm. then I go home and it's like, okay, like you still live in Hialeah and, you know, (laughs) stick back to reality. Tomorrow you'll wake up and maybe you'll live the dream again. Right. Yeah, no, and that was, that's what I struggle with quite a bit, you know, yeah. not, not quite fitting in for quite some time. And, um, and I would even say I've always been put in those positions, but I've learned over time um, to know who I am and whose I am. And that, and that's really what makes a difference, mm-hmm. irrespective of the environment that I'm in. Knowing where you come from. That's, right. that's it, the humility you were talking about, knowing exactly where you come from and that everything it's not given to you, it's worked for. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Now that you have a beautiful family to look after, we were always, mm-hmm. we're, we started off our conversations always talking about kids because it, it's like that when you become a parent. <laughs> um, right. From the lessons you've learned growing up and maybe some lessons that you've learned recently, I don't know, but whatever lessons you've learned, how, how and what will you be teaching to your children as they grow up? Yeah, big. That's a that's a big thing for my wife and I. We we talk about this ad nauseum. Um, she grew up. She's South Korean, so she grew up in a um, homogenous, um, homogeneous sort of uh, background. She um, all Koreans, uh, not a lot of English spoken, and things like that. And I grew up in an all black um, neighborhood growing up, and that left us both with some preconceived notions that proved to not be true over mm-hmm. time. And so what we do is we strategically um, place our children in um, areas of diversity, both in neighborhoods, in schools. Um, we travel the world quite frequently. Um, and I say that to highlight that I really focus on experiences um, for my children. Um, I didn't have, I had a very uh, siloed experience, um, in large part because my parents were working so hard to give us what we had, mm-hmm. but that's all that they were able to give us. Mm-hmm. And so I really didn't know what the world had to offer. I didn't know um, how to receive uh, other people who didn't mm-hmm. look like me uh, quite readily coming into the military. Yeah. And I felt like I was, um, I felt like I was judged uh, based on who I was, uh, just based on my appearance and my background and where I came from. So we really focus on. Um, diversity and experience building over time. So we travel the world. We make sure that our children are engaged in philanthropic activities. We make sure that um, our children um, speak both of their tongues, their their languages. So they're uh, bilingual in Korean and English as well. Um, so they have that identity. But more more than all of that, we make sure that they understand how to appreciate all people, no matter who they are and where they come from. And I think for me, that's even more valuable than any education that I can give them or any institution that I can send them to. Um, just being able to love on people and love people for who they are um, is something that I think the world needs a lot of right now. You know, And so that's really what we focus on with our children. I love that. I love that because it's not necessarily a focus on 
racial diversity. This that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about showing to your kids that be open minded to anything because mm-hmm. you don't know who that person is, what they've gone through, what they can show you, what they can teach you. You also don't know what doors might open along the way, right? But you also aren't closed mm-hmm. to sticking to that that still and routine-like progress that you never get out of that vicious circle. And it's so important to leave that circle. It's so important to leave that world of yours that you, you're kind of reluctant to leaving behind. Yes, absolutely. And that again, that's really... Um, that that's how we choose where we live. That's how we choose where our children go to school. Um, making sure that they have a varied uh, life experience with various exposures to languages, peoples, cultures, backgrounds, um, all of that. Because you know, if you wait to when I uh, had let's say uh, a, a grand exposure that took me almost eighteen years, minus that three or four months that I was in that all white mm-hmm. school. Um, I really lived a almost monolithic society, uh, societal life. You know, yeah. everyone spoke the same, looked the same, dressed the same. Um, and it's really hard to develop that way. I learned so much from people who don't look like me and even more from people who don't agree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, and you have to have those experiences and those exposures in order mm-hmm. to grow. I just can't believe that you had 12, 12 golden teeth. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I remember. Right. Um, I remember. Yes, you're right. I remember going to the dentist. It, you know, this was a major point of contention for the military as well. My uh, leadership did not want me to stay in the military, and so I remember going to the dentist. And it, like many providers, they're not looking at you; they're looking at the chart while talking to you. And he says, "This can't be right. You have gold crowns from tooth number eight, nine, ten, eleven." And so he's, and so he turns around and looks at me and says, "Oh my God." Yeah. <laughs> um, my uh, my leadership hated me, and so I had to mm-hmm. walk around with this um, with this paper that said from the dentist um, that said that although my dental aesthetics um, present as you know unorthodox, they're not against any military or army mm-hmm. regulation. And our smile, I think our smile is our look. It's our presentation. It's our way of saying hello right you i don't know why but we have this habit of looking at people's teeth and um yeah so i can imagine that maybe for you it was it was kind of like leaving behind an an identity as well it was you know what's strange is at the time it was I don't, you know i don't know what it is today but it was kind of popular to have uh, that many gold teeth in atlanta georgia and then you know the exact opposite when i joined the military i I was shameful to open my mouth mm-hmm. because I didn't want to be judged. I had people who had never imagined anything like that. And they said, you know, did you get into a freak accident? What mm-hmm. happened? You know, how did you end up this way? Or God, uh, people I are so rude. Some students. <laughs> yeah, no, but they, you know, I, I think it was, they were coming from a place of honesty, of ignorance, right? Well, and so, yeah. on, like honest ignorance. And, and, and so was I, you know, yeah. I was coming from a place of honest ignorance and going back to the, the grand scheme with my children is to be able to expose them to, uh, to the world in a way that they aren't ignorant. Yeah. That while they may not agree with some things, uh, they'll have, you know, an abundance of exposure to people who may be unorthodox in a lot of ways. And so 
Um, so I do share that picture with my children and with other people. And um, I've been asked to speak to young boys who are uh, in, in those same situations mm-hmm. uh, here in the near future. Um, because, again, when you're living in a lifestyle, you don't really see beyond that that bubble that you're in. Yeah. It's really hard to see what's outside of that bubble. That was a phase of life that um, that honestly I needed to go through. You know, it's almost like being able to have that testimony to physically show someone that I was where you are now. Um, and you can change. You can, you know, turn into this this new thing. You can evolve. You know, there's a metamorphosis that's awaiting mm-hmm. you. And so I think that uh, being able to have that that tangible photo um, as a representation of struggle, as a representation of maybe some cultural identity and socioeconomic background and, and those types of things. And then now having, you know, a different aspect on life and looking different. Those two things juxtaposed, I think, is a, is a, uh, is a testimony that's worthy sharing to other people. Do you plan on making any sort of contribution to future generations outside of your children? I do. Um, uh, just like I was saying before, I've had, I'm, I'm an Omega Omega Sci Fi member, and I've had a, a guy that's an attorney here in Maryland um, who uh, says, Hey, listen, he reached out to me and I said, he told me that he had about 60 young boys in their, uh, in their program um, that would benefit from hearing my story and, and being able to lock arms with me um, and learning from my experience and, and helping them identify pathways for them to move up and move out. Um, of their situation, um, and then, uh, and then at some point, come back and, and pour back into their own community. So I am finding ways now that I'm out of the White House, I have more time um, to be able to reach back um, into the communities that I live in and serve. Uh, but I would definitely love at some point to be able to make it back to Atlanta, Georgia, um, and, and, and do the same thing for those kids um, that are going to that same elementary school that's a one out of ten, that same middle school that's a two out of ten. And that high school, that's a three out of 10, which uh, which has a low graduation rate as well. So that is on my agenda, my to-do list, my bucket list, if you will, to be able to go back and to pour into those communities because those are the communities that um, that were my foundation. A rocky foundation, but a foundation It's a foundation. I mean, it's, hey, something I've been going on about, especially after my difficult journey postpartum, is that the only way to go from the ground is up, right? And- there's only one way to move forward and that's to rise. You got to, you have to choose to water your plants. You got to choose that growth. You know, you, it can't just be enlightened to you. It can't just be dropped in, you know, in sprinkles over your head. This is a decision you have to make to say, I want to grow. I want to, I yearn, I'm hungry for this, ambition i'm hungry to leave out of the state that i'm in and honestly that takes a lot of courage to do so you know and i was just gonna ask you if you were planning on going back to atlanta georgia so i'm so glad that you are and it is in your plans because i think always going back to your roots and where you started is 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 a good way to to evaluate how far you've gone and how far you've reached the impossible and and you're here to give that back and i think that's wonderful well for me it's it's also to evaluate how much more work we have to do Mm -hmm. because that says something that if i can go back 
30 years removed and things are still the, the same, same. Yeah. then what are we doing as a society? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think there's a, there's a lot of opportunity to be able to say um, all these interventions that we have done or all these opportunities that we have missed are not hitting the mark. Um, and, uh, and we need to we need to work on ways to develop these communities because yeah. um, they may not be your problem right now, but um, if, if drugs come into your neighborhood mm-hmm. because of it, if crime comes into your neighborhood because of it, then it becomes everyone's problem. Right. Um, so um, I definitely think that we need to work much more uh, arduously towards change in that regard. You know, I want to go back to how we we met. We met on LinkedIn mm-hmm. for those. Mm-hmm. Who don't know LinkedIn is a, obviously a page with job opportunities. You read stories about inspirational people. I came across Bernard's story through a post, and I, me being the stalkerish person that I am, and very strange sometimes. I'm just like, <laughs> how about I just reach out to him? I think his story is great. Let me just reach out. I loved his post. I reached out to him, and he he connected right away. But that post is about. It has 85,000 likes. Yeah, just about, just under 4 million views. It was... Uh, what? It, I think it, yeah, about 3,900,000. That's a viral post. <laughs> if you don't consider yourself going viral, then you're, you're absolutely wrong. That is viral. Um, I think it resonated with people because everyone shares some version of struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter where it is in the world or how it's, you know, how it's defined. But people love to see resilience and perseverance. And it's a reminder that I'm not done yet. And, mm-hmm. um, and that I can make it out of this spot into a completely different spot um, so long as I don't give up hope. Mm-hmm. And that I, you know, I continue to persevere and surround myself with people who are going to support me in that cause. So I think that while most people... Um, that 86,000 or some odd people who, uh, who commented or had some sort of impression of that post. I think that all of those people, most of those people probably never looked the way I looked or probably never grew up the way I did, mm-hmm. but they can identify with struggle. Um, they can identify with perseverance in the desire to make something better from where you started. That's the purpose of this podcast. I went through something very difficult all th- throughout my whole lifetime, to be honest. Uh, this is probably a whole nother conversation for another time. But, you know, I think that the idea of um, progress and growth and healing is so important in order to be able to see yourself in a different light, through mm-hmm. a different perspective, through different lenses. If you don't get there then you're obviously going to stay in the past or stuck exactly where you are and Mm -hmm. the the perseverance you had the strive to say i need to get out of here because this is not what this is not the idea of the life i want to live and i think Mm -hmm. a lot of people are trying to find that voice right that drive or that motive Mm -hmm. or that reason to say oh wait, this is what I'm supposed to be doing or finding their purpose, right? I think we all have a purpose Mm -hmm. on this planet. And Mm -hmm. when you finally figure out what that purpose is, it is so, so gratifying. Right. Wouldn't you agree? I think it's so gratifying. I do. I I, I do. I think, and I think for me, um, my, you know, I remember joining the military saying, why, why does this have to happen to me? 
Why did I have to grow up this way? Why did I have to experience a murder? Why is it so difficult for me? Why am I judged? You know, as soon as I join this organization um, that, you know, that I'm trying my best. Why, why, why? And mm -hmm. as soon as I stop saying why and I start realizing that at some point that I am going to be a testimony, I am going to be someone that's able to turn mm -hmm. my story into power as conviction to help other people. That's when things change for me. Yeah. Um, because people are still to this day shocked that not only did I make it to the White House, mm -hmm. but I grew up, I'm the only person that ever graduated college in my family. Um, Twice. I'm the only person you, got, you got two bachelors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two bachelors. Uh, two, now it's going to be two masters here in May and a doctorate degree. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think all of those things are a testimony to other people who say, you know, I didn't do well in high school. I didn't have a good SAT score. You know, you fill in the blank. I think my life is a testimony to um, you can do it with the help of great leaders, mentors, and people who are going to develop you along the way. But you can do it. And I think that's the most salient point. The, the point that I want to drive home is that, um, that irrespective of your circumstances, I am not great in so many respects. I know many more people that I've worked with and now I work for that are far greater than me. Um, but I also look at where people's starting points in life are, you know? And so um, I've had to run twice as hard um, to get to the same place as many other people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that speaks volumes to the people who think they're starting so far behind the starting line in life. You can still catch up. Bernard, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today. It means the world. I'm honored to even thank you personally for serving our country. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Do you want to know more about the resources we mentioned on this episode? Head on over to our show notes for more information. If you love this episode, share it with a friend and be sure to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. If you know someone with a story we should feature on The Inner Puzzle, send us a DM on Instagram at The Inner Puzzle. Until next time, keep moving the pieces to your inner puzzle. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.